today on After God's Heart. But they're not just listening to the Word of God as though they want to curiously understand what it says. They are now attempting to determine the course of their lives based on what God's Word says because confession is never complete until I've changed my behavior. Until I have now reoriented my life in submission to the Word of God. Because the Bible is our standard. The Bible is our authority. Everything else is just your opinion. Welcome to After God's Heart with Dr. Darren Biles, author, professor, and pastor of Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Today, Dr. Biles continues his message from Nehemiah 9. Last time, Dr. Biles talked about how obedience to God means grieving over our sin and separating from our sin. Today, let's open our Bibles to Nehemiah 9 and continue the message on rising up in obedience. And you come to the highlight of Ezra's prayer in verse 17. Ezra calls out, they did not obey and they did not remember. From that point in the story, you begin to realize that obedience becomes the theme of the prayer that Ezra was praying. Look further in verses 25 and 26. You blessed them, but they did not obey. Verses 27 and 28. You saved them, but they did not obey. Verse 29. You warned them, but they did not obey. Verse 30. You were patient with them, but they did not obey. And over and over again, Ezra is calling out their sin. He's calling out their need for God, but rehearsing the history of their disobedience. And it was that realization that caused the people to come back to the place of worship, the place where they'd met God, fall down before him in obedience. And I want to see from Nehemiah chapter 9 a picture of how to respond in obedience to God. What it means to rise up in obedience to the Lord. What it means to stand in our faith, for our faith, despite the fact that we have sinned and violated God's command, we come back in obedience to the Lord. And we learn, first of all, that obedience to God means grieving over our sin. Verse 1 is a picture of their mourning over sin. Note, the fasting, the sackcloth, and the dust on their heads, literally earth that they've picked up and thrown on their heads as a sign of their great grief before the Lord. Their grief over what grieves God. Their mourning over where they have failed Him. Their mourning becomes a sign of their spiritual maturity. Because the closer you get to Christ, the more you hate sin. When sin no longer bothers us, it seems less sinful. We discover our need to return. God spoke out in Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15, and said, My people don't even know how to blush. They no longer grieve over their sin. They no longer mourn over their sin. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who mourn, they will be comforted. Happy are those who are sad, Jesus said. But he's not just talking about walking around as though you're sad over all the time. Blessed are those who mourn, who are convicted by their sin. Blessed, Jesus said, are those who grieve over their sin. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 7, godly sorrow leads 
to repentance. We see that here in Nehemiah chapter 9, where we grieve over where we have failed him. Where we're affected by the sin that has become characteristic of our lives. And note what the people of Israel, who now are not prompted, but merely hearing the Word of God brings conviction. It brings mourning and grief and fasting and sackcloth and dust on their heads. And obedience means grieving over our sin. But note, secondly, obedience to God means separation from our sin because it's not enough just to be sorry about our sin. It's not enough to be sad that we've been caught. It's not enough to be guilty that we have sinned Sin demands separation. Note what the Bible says. They separated themselves. We saw a few weeks ago how the word holy in the Bible means to be separate. It may describe characteristic attributes, but at its core, the word holiness means to separate. We separate from things and we separate to someone. We separate from that which divides us from God. We separate over that which separates us from Him. And you'll note that the children of Israel, upon the hearing of the Word of God and the conviction that began to set in, realized there are things in our lives from which we need to separate. I need to distance myself from these activities, from these thoughts. I need to separate from them to separate to him. Jesus said, wide is the path that leads to destruction, but narrow is the path that leads to life, and few are those who find it. Children of Israel model for us a separation that is necessary Certainly doesn't mean we isolate ourselves from the world. Paul talked about this in 2 Corinthians 5. But it does mean that we separate ourselves from some of the practices of the world. It does mean that we isolate ourselves from the sin that so easily entangles us. It does mean we separate from them because the Bible says don't love the things of the world or the things in it. Paul said have no fellowship with works of darkness 2 Corinthians 6, come out of them and be separate. Separation is not an excuse for spiritual arrogance. We're not better than the world because we've been forgiven. There's a difference between hating sin and hating the sinner. We must turn from evil, even call out evil, but we must not sin in calling out sin. We separate from sin. Because obedience to God means separation. But I want you to note, thirdly, obedience to God also means confession of our sin. It is not just the grief, the awareness of our sin. It is not just the separation from it. It is the calling out of it. It is not simply enough to be aware of our sin or to be aware that God is aware of our sin. Confession must be made. Where sin abounds, grace abounds, but confession is necessary. And after they separated, the Bible says they confessed. There was a period of time that the Bible recounts of their confession. They stood, confessed their sin. 
confessing the sin of their fathers, the sin that has so easily encumbered us, the sin that has affected us. It's been in our heritage. It's been in our families. It's been in our lives. And we call it out and we confess. The word confess means to give voice to. It means to express. It means I call out my sin. It's not just feeling bad about my sin. It is apologizing to God, the one whom we have offended. It is the admission of our guilt. It is saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. Confession of our sin. Confession is not something that we complete when we come to God by faith. It's not that we come to God by faith through Jesus Christ, we confess our sin, and all of a sudden we're done with that and we can go on and not have to worry about that confession thing again. But the reality is now this is three weeks after the spiritual awakening. They're still being convicted about their sin. They're still coming back before God and confessing the continual faith, the regular turning away from sin. We have sin. He is a forgiving God. You've fallen but you can get up. The Bible reminds us how far we have failed, but repentance is turning away from that sin and it is turning to Him. Note their confession was specific. Verse 16, they confessed their pride. Verse 18, they confessed their idolatry. Verse 26, they confessed their rebellion. Verse 16 and 17, we've hardened our necks. We were disobedient. We sinned and stiffened our necks. We've done wickedly. And over and over again, they're reminding themselves as they call out their sin to God, we have been disobedient. You come to the end of this chapter and watch what happens as you get to verse 36. 37, here we are, we're slaves in the land you gave us. Someone else owns the land you gave us. We're slaves in the land that you gave our ancestors so that they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. Your intention was that our people, our ancestors, we would enjoy the fruit of this land, but now we're slaves in it. Look at verse, verse 37. It's abundant harvest goes to their kings that you set over us because of our sin. Here's what they're saying. You gave this land to us, and they took it from us because of our sin, and they are now enjoying our blessings. We're giving away the blessings you intended for us because of our sin. They have our stuff. They have our blessing because our sin has distanced us from God, and we call out our sin. The one thing they were good at was sinning. But the Bible tells us that we've all sinned. Romans 3.23 all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's you, that's, that's me, that's, that's all of us. We, we've all sinned and fallen short of God's glory. The very first thing Jesus said on the cross, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing because he knew that the one thing that they needed in that moment was forgiveness. We need God's grace. We need God's forgiveness because fundamentally at our core, we are sinful and we need God's grace. But there's good news because the Bible says if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. God is bigger than your failure. Your failure doesn't surprise God, but your sin demands repentance. Verse 17, the people call out to God, 
We have sinned, but you are a forgiving God. We've sinned. We know we've sinned. We know where we've failed. We know how many times we have failed you, but you, God, are a forgiving God, gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, abounding in faithful love. You are gracious and merciful. Our sin must be mourned, but our sin must be confessed. I wonder this morning if there's sin in your life that needs to be confessed. Because obedience to God demands confession. Note, fourthly, as we move on, obedience to God means turning away from our sin. It means doing something different than we were doing previously. It means looking back to God and turning to His Word for our lives. Look what the Bible says, now they have confessed before God their sin and the sin of their fathers. And then verse 3, they stood in their places and they read from the book of the law their God for a fourth of the day. Now that might be six hours, it might be three hours, depends on how you characterize a day. A day might be 12 hours, if that's the case. They now read the Bible three hours. If it means a 24-hour day, they read the Bible six hours. They're just hearing God's Word. But they're not just listening to the Word of God as though they want to curiously understand what it says. They are now attempting to determine the course of their lives based on what God's Word says because confession is never complete until I've changed my behavior. Until I have now reoriented my life in submission to the Word of God. Because the Bible is our standard. The Bible is our authority. Everything else is just your opinion. The Word of God is the authority of our lives. Paul said in Romans chapter 12, I beseech you by the mercies of God to present your bodies a living sacrifice, which is your spiritual service of worship. Here the people now presenting themselves before God. God, we've sinned. We humble ourselves before you and before your word. And they read the word. They heard the word. And now they begin to change their lives based on the truth of God's word. And you come to the end of chapter 10, where their covenant is being publicly demonstrated. Look at chapter 10. Look what the Bible says in chapter 10, verse 29. They joined with their noble brothers to commit themselves with a solemn oath to follow the law of God. They committed their lives to do what the Bible says. Part of their commitment was not just coming back to God and confessing their sin, but their promise to live their lives according to what the Word of God says, their desire was to hear God's word and to do it because obedience to God demands turning from our sin. But I want you to note finally, obedience to God means professing our faith in him. You come to the end of that part in verse 3. Now they have heard the word of God for a fourth of the day. And then for another fourth of the day, they spent in confession and worship of the Lord. There again, could be three hours, could be six hours. They are 
confessing and worshiping God. They may be confessing sin, they may be confessing their faith, but throughout that time, for three hours now, they are committing this time to a public proclamation of their faith. They now publicly declare their faith in him, even though they've turned away, even though they spent so much time living apart from him. Now they have come back to him, and for a fourth of the day, they heard the word, and a fourth of the day, they worship God. We acknowledge and remember he's our God. Listen to what the leaders called out in verse 4. They cried out loudly to the Lord their God. Verse 5, they then declared, stand up, bless the Lord your God from everlasting to everlasting. Verse 6, you God are God alone. They begin to call out their worship, their expression of their worship. And beginning in verse 6 down through about verse uh, 15, there are a series of attributes of God that they just call out. You're the God alone, verse 6. You are the Creator. You're the sustainer of creation. You're the God who chose us, verse 7. You are righteous, verse 8. You're the God who rescued us, verse 9. You're the God who led them in the wilderness, in verse 12. You gave them your word, in verse 13. You worked miracles of preservation, in verse 15. Though they sinned, you forgave, in verse 17. You did not forsake them. You gave them your spirit, in verse 20. You gave them a land, in verse 22. You gave them a family, in verse 23. You defeated their enemies, in verse 24. You you blessed them beyond what they deserved in verse 25. You delivered us from our enemies in verse 27. You warned us in your word that you would bring us back in verse 29. You were patient in verse 30. You were merciful in verse 31. You were gracious in verse 31. You were great and mighty and awesome in verse 32. You keep covenant and love in verse 32. You are just in your judgment and you are faithful. They call out their vocal praise to the Lord, an expression of their obedience. They confessed their sin and they confessed their faith in Him. God, we remember who you are and we remember who we are. We remember what you did and we remember what we did. And now we come back. You come to the end of that very lengthy prayer in verse 32. And now Ezra makes it personal. The pronouns shift from them to us. This is what you did for them. But now there's a shift in verse 32. And Ezra said, so now God, great, mighty, awe-inspiring God who keeps your gracious covenant, do not view lightly all the hardships that have afflicted us, our kings and leaders, our priests and prophets, our ancestors and all the people from the days of the Assyrian kings to today. You are righteous concerning all that's happened to us because you've acted faithfully while we have acted wickedly. Our kings and leaders and priests and ancestors did not obey your law or listen to your commands or warnings that you gave them and when they were in their kingdom and your abundant goodness that you gave and in their spacious and fertile land you've set before them but they would not serve you or turn from their ways. So here we are today, slaves in the land you gave us so that they could enjoy its fruit and its goodness. And here we are, slaves in it. 
to abundant harvest goes to their kings that you set over us because of our sin. They rule over our bodies and our livestock as they please. We're in great distress. And in view of this, we're making a covenant. Writing on a sealed document containing our names of our leaders, our Levites, and our priests. In chapter 10, contains the names of 22 priests, 17 Levites, a governor, and 44 others who wrote their name on a covenant promising before God to separate themselves from their sin, promising before God to live in obedience to God's word, declaring publicly their faith in him, signing a document that says, we ask and we commit. Here we are, and we need you. All that we've been doing hasn't been good enough. All that it's brought us is slavery. All that it's brought us is judgment that we deserve. All that it's brought us is shame. And so we make a covenant. Our commitment to God is not based on the answer to the request that we've made. We're not serving God because of what we expect to get out of it. We're simply signing our name, publicly declaring our faith in Him. May I say to you, we need to be less worried about the sin of everybody else and more worried about the sin in our own lives. We need to obey and remember. He is great and mighty and awesome and faithful, merciful, but he is also just. And a just God cannot tolerate sin. Sin must be confessed. I want to walk us through the prayer that Ezra prayed, and it might be that you need to respond. I want you to note several things that Ezra prayed. First, we praise you, God, because... And maybe you just fill in the blank. And you would say, God, today I praise you because. I praise you because you've been faithful. I praise you because you're good. I praise you because you have been generous. I praise you for the blessings in my life, for my family, for my job, for all the things you've given me. God, maybe today you need to say, God, I praise you because. And, and you just fill in the blank. Or maybe you would say, I thank you, God, because. I recognize who you are, the characteristics of who you are, and I thank you for what you've done. Maybe today you need to get a little bit more serious, a little bit more specific. And you just simply need to say, God, today I confess to you because. God, I confess to you the sin of my life. I confess to you whatever sin it might be in your life. Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual? Is it mental? I confess to you my pride. I confess to you my arrogance. I confess to you my racism. I confess to you how I have turned away from you. I confess to you where I did not live by your word. I confess to you because. Or maybe today, like Ezra at the end of the chapter, you would simply say, God, I look to you today 
because I've got a need that I can't meet. And today, I look to you. So maybe right now, you're just mentally filling in the blanks. I praise you because. I thank you because. I confess to you because, and I look to you because. And maybe this morning, God is calling on you to make a covenant. Metaphorically signing your name in a public commitment of your faith to Him. And maybe in this moment, God is calling on you. When we have met God in genuine worship, we will leave worship different. Like Moses at the burning bush or Joshua in the presence of the commander of the Lord's army, when we meet the Lord, it changes us. We've seen in this passage in Nehemiah chapter 12 how God was challenging the people to rise up in obedience. And I pray that's a challenge you and I learn in our lives. We've entitled this program, After God's Heart. The name of the program comes from the title of my newest book, After God's Heart. It's a story of the life of David, the challenges, the lessons that we learn from David, and how we can apply those to our lives. We'd love to send you a copy of my book when you support this ministry with your generous gift. Now, here's Ed to give you more details on how you can get a copy of my book. Thanks, Dr. Biles. You can get a copy of After God's Heart today. Today by contacting Sunnyvale First Baptist Church at 972-226-7105 or sunnyvalefbc.com. You can also write us at 3018 North Beltline Road, Sunnyvale, Texas 75182. Attention after God's heart. And here's a final word from Pastor Darren. Thanks, Ed. If you're ever in the North Texas area, I want to invite you to be our guest at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. We have Sunday school classes for all ages. Our worship service on Sunday mornings begins at 1030. We would love for you and your family to be our guest anytime you are able at Sunnyvale First Baptist Church. Once again, on behalf of Dr. Biles, we want to thank you for listening. I'm your host, Ed Petty, and we'll see you next time on After God's Heart.